29th of August 1976. I boarded a British Airways flight to London. The flight was delayed by 45 minutes. They didn't allow us back into the duty-free area. We had to sit in the aircraft. I sweated it out thinking that I've been caught. They're going to walk in any minute and grab me. And then we took off. And I was still nervous. And then I asked the stewardess, um, pretending that I had geographical interests, where we were flying over. And she said, well, in about ten minutes' time we'll be over Damascus. And I knew we were no longer over Iraqi airspace. And two emotions hit me simultaneously. A relief which I can never express and I don't think anybody can um, appreciate unless you're in that position. A relief. It's as if you're out of a concentration camp. And the other part of me is literally losing someone who meant everything to you. I've said goodbye to everything that meant everything to me, including my own dead. I knew I was not going back. I'd lost it. It's gone. No, I wasn't scared. I was very angry. I was really very angry. I wasn't scared. I, no time to be scared, really. But uh, I think this, the anger I had at the time just shooted me out of the Lebanon for seven years, maybe. Just I didn't want to hear about it, and uh, that kept me out of it for very long. The political situation in Syria was getting worse and worse with time. Uh, I had two choices. Either I joined the army for two and a half years, then I have the chance to leave the country, or I leave the country for five years to the Gulf countries, and then after five years I'm, in, I'm entitled to pay uh, <clears throat> an amount of money so I will be uh, relieved from the military service. So I chose the second option to go for five years to the Gulf countries, then pay the money to, so I would not go to the army. I find a job in one of the best hospitals in the Middle East. It's called King Faisal Specialist Hospital, where I worked for uh, five years in the Department of Surgery. And then I worked in the uh, Security Forces Hospital. Both hospitals were in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, then uh, I came to Ireland. Mohammed al-Sada, Mona Falouri and Basha al-Tanawi are part of a growing number of immigrants from Middle Eastern countries living here in Ireland, part of migration that is representative of the late 20th century. They are refugees, they are travellers, they are students. They flow forth from a region traumatised by political division and redivision, the carving of the world into nation-states, the acceptable face of the 20th century and the havoc that lies behind it. My, my father's family are from Baghdad, from an area called Kardimane, where there is a, a major um, shrine um, of two of my ancestors there. Uh, and a prominent religious centre. And my late mother uh, was from Najaf in southern Iraq, where 
the ultimate uh, Shiite Muslim uh, holy shrine of uh, Imam Ali is, uh, he would be, I suppose, the equivalent of Saint Peter uh, in the Roman Catholic faith, the successor to Muhammad, that is, not quite at the same level, but sort of the vicar of Allah on earth. Um, both my parents spent their adulthood in Baghdad, my mother studying medicine and my father having completed his business studies in the United States, um, living and working in Baghdad. He met my mother um, when his father was dying. Uh, she was working in the same hospital. And coincidentally, both being of the same lineage, that is, direct descendants of Muhammad, uh, as well as obviously getting on like a house on fire, um, married. Um, I was born in Baghdad in 1958, um, have never lived anywhere else but Baghdad until I left in 1976. My father spoke out against the Ba'ath Party um, in 1968, as soon as they took power. They had been in power in 1963 for eight months, and they committed uh, tremendous atrocities and were in turn overthrown, only to regain power again, as I said, in 1968. Um, in his attempt to speak out against what the government had done uh, with colleagues of his, um, his life was in danger and he had to flee the country. He was warned that uh, he may be executed, uh, arrested and executed. At that stage, um, it was quite common to see uh, public hangings in Iraq and people were regularly um, detained without charge or just disappeared and taken to uh, the nearest torture chamber. False uh, confessions were extracted from these people who appeared on television in dire straits uh, confessing to crimes which they obviously did not commit. Um, that left the remaining members of the family, that is myself, my brother and my late mother, uh, <clears throat> in Iraq. My mother was never political. She came from a simple um, family, a very religious family. Her father was a clergyman and a cloth merchant in the city of Najaf. She was the first Shiite woman, uh, Muslim woman, to do medicine in the country with her father's blessing and consent and came to do it in Baghdad at the Royal School of Medicine at the time, which was mainly run by British professors and British lecturers. She um, was, I suppose, um, in her own way, a very liberal Muslim feminist, if I could use the term, um, and a woman who, in, a, in her short life, achieved quite a lot um, not just simply by being the first doctor, but by her very outspoken views, even at times directly to people who are likely to <clears throat> threaten her life, such as Saddam Hussein, whose wife uh, um, she tended to. Um, she did not differentiate. Uh, she tended to everyone, the opposition members' wives, and to the party members' wives. Uh, she also did not believe in the principle of profit as being a primary motive in medicine. My mother was arrested in 1969. The secret police stormed our house um, at an early hour of the morning, forced her out of bed. I was in my father's bed. They slept in separate beds um, in her bedroom. And um, when she refused to cooperate, um, the secret police threatened to shoot me if she would not go with them. She disappeared for a month. We didn't know where she was. We later discovered she was in a particular place which is uh, referred to in Iraq. I don't know if the translation is correct. as the Palace of the Ending, uh, since demolished, 
uh, it was the one of the royal palaces, <clears throat> but specifically the one in which the royal family in Iraq was slaughtered. And it was Iraq's most notorious torture chamber. There she was tortured um, and then sentenced to 25 years for uh, treason. That was the official uh, state charge. Uh, after 10 months of her, or 11 months of the commencement of her sentence, she was released and told that, well, she wasn't really thought of as a traitor, but they had to take precautionary measures to ensure that the government remained stable. And as my father had been an activist against the government, they had to take her in. She was also known to be very outspoken, knowing that in day-to-day -day life in Baghdad, simple things like telephones are tapped, but she still spoke out. Um, she then resumed her medical practice, warned numerous times by the government not to treat opposition party members or op any opposition members' wives, but she refused and continued on. And eventually, um, through one of the presidential palace-organized clandestine groups, she was um, shot in her clinic uh, whilst working on the 4th of October of 1973. I was 15 at the time. One of my relations came in and said that um, your mother has been injured. That was the term he used. <clears throat> and I gathered there was more to it than that. It was a Thursday and it was 4 p.m. I remember it as if it happened yesterday. Um, and I pulled my relation aside. I tried to, first of all, I tried to ring her clinic. And he says, uh, I don't, she's not in the clinic. And I suspected something was not as it, as it appeared to be. So I pulled him aside and I said, look, um, be, I'd rather if you were frank with me. And he says, look, Mohammed, you're, you're a man now. You're not a child anymore. And I said, cut it down. What are you trying to tell me? And he says, your mother is dead. And I said, what circumstances? He said, she's been shot. That's all I can say. So I decided that I'd go to the clinic and see for myself. <clears throat> I didn't believe it. So I went to the clinic. The place was surrounded by police. The area was cordoned off. The police allowed me through when I identified myself as her son and was met outside her clinic by a well-known party member, uh, <clears throat> the brother of a minister, uh, a cabinet minister at the time, who was a friend of the family, or should I say an acquaintance of the family, who tried to dissuade me from going into the clinic, but I insisted on going inside, and um, I was eventually allowed inside where I... Um, saw my mother's remains and the, well, her death became a reality. I, uh, I had to, I had to accept it. She was dead, that was that. I'm uh, from the Lebanon, a place called Big Faya, northeast Beirut in the mountains, about 900 meters above the sea overlooking the sea and you can see Beirut and at night it's beautiful but it's also a misty place at night in the evening in the summer the mist comes up from the sea uh, Bikfaya is in the core of uh, the Christian area the Christian uh, population this is where the two presidents the two Jemayel presidents came from one has been assassinated Bashir Jemayel has been assassinated and uh, 
his brother who took over after uh, they both come from this uh, village, this town in the mountain. There are very few Muslims living there, although I know of one that was uh, kept and protected all the time in uh, Bigfaya, so he never had to move because uh, it was a, a point of honor to keep him there and protect him him and his family. He used to have a... He used to... He had a shop and he would sell uh, clothes and he's still there, but it's very rare. Usually it's mainly predominantly uh, Christian. Uh, yeah, I was born in England, but I was brought up in uh, the Lebanon, in Beirut in a boarding school. And uh, it was my grandmother who really looked after us and would take us home now and then because my parents lived uh, abroad in Nigeria. My father always worked abroad. Uh, I was not that very much keen to become a doctor. I wanted to have uh, a simple and uh, easy way, I thought, to become a petroleum, uh, petroleum engineering. Uh, but then, with the, because of the uh, idea in the society that doctors are uh, live in the highest standard and they are in the highest social class, and to, to satisfy uh, my parents, and I thought uh, I will go ahead and study medicine, which is not against my wishes. I was I was open at that time, so to satisfy my parents and to to live within the uh, highest class in the society, I went into the medical field. Uh, the political situation in Syria from the time uh, the French occupation left Syria, uh, they left apparently. From outside, they left the people to, to run their own affairs. But in fact, actually, what happened that they left some stooges to, to act as dummies, to be uh, moved and directed from outside Syria. So that's why the first uh, military coup in the Arabic world happened in Syria. And uh, in the, uh, since 1946, a lot of military coup happened in Syria because the army was trying to get control. And within the ranks of the army, people were trying to, to get control themselves. But uh, for the last 20 years, and uh, within, the, uh, within a very well-planned plan and uh, scheme, we had the minority of the Syrians, the Alawis, which are about 15% of the people. They have been uh, working hard through the Ba'ath Party to run the affair of the Ba'ath Party and then to, to run the affair of the country. Uh, early years of growing up, uh, it was not a major issue. I wouldn't uh, think about it too much. But uh, when I was in the university and the uh, political confrontation and the uh, real confrontation which started to happen uh, at the early 80s uh, between the uh, Muslims and the uh, government, at that time you start to worry about yourself because uh, just uh, with the very minor accusation you will be put in prison and sometimes you will be put, not sometimes, most of the times people are put in the prison for 10 years without uh, being uh, tried or without being uh, accused of something, uh, something specific. As a child in 1958, uh, there was uh, 
not a civil war as such, but uh, it was about to be civil war. And as uh, children, we were, uh, school has stopped and we were taken to the mountain. So my grandmother has taken us to the mountain. And later on, because uh, the situation deteriorated, uh, we were we were flown to uh, to Nigeria, where my parents were living. So it was the first time I was aware of uh, any political uh, instability, and also it was also the first time I took a plane. So I do remember this. It was in 1958. Oh, I wasn't frightened. I remember seeing uh, the Marines on American Marines on. Uh, on the road going to Beirut. So it was just a curiosity thing, and I knew there was something uh, special, something not ordinary that was going on. But uh, I don't remember uh, hearing any shots or uh, something obvious of the war. It was more subtle. And anyway, as a child, I probably was kept away from all this. Later on, when I was at university, I was uh, out of my family, and I was more aware of uh, uh, the political situation. And there was a lot of uh, social injustice. Also, I became more aware of uh, the Palestinian-Israeli uh, problem. And I knew at the time of uh, being a student, I had information that I would that wouldn't reach me when I was at home. I thought it's a very big injustice. I always thought it's a fundamental injustice that has been done to the Palestinian people and never been tackled and wanted to be looked at properly. It's the basic that isn't the fundamental that is not right. And it's just a terrible problem. Because it's too big, too immense ideology that don't match. And it's only ideologies because the people could live together peacefully. So uh, all these things would just make me uh, be aware that it's not, it's not as peaceful as it was the way I grew up. You know, I grew up, it was quite peaceful, but as soon as I left my home and I left the boarding school, all this came up to me as a blow. I have not had a childhood. I do things now which sometimes some of my colleagues find rather eccentric or have interests which are rather eccentric. Maybe it's my own way of trying to do things which normal teenagers do. I don't know what... I, I, I can't... I'm, I think the worst person to analyse oneself is oneself. <laughs> um, so... Um, I, I, I didn't know what childhood was. I mean, at 15 I was told... Well, at 11, when my mother was arrested, I was told, well, now you're the man in the family. Your father's in exile. He left Iraq. He was going to be executed. He was sentenced to death in absentia. Um, at 15, I was de facto the man in the family. I had no choice. That was it. Um, childhood, I don't know what it meant. I, I, I don't know what it means. Um, in I remember in 1975, um, I went on a, a sort of a semi-arranged school trip to France, and we mixed with French um, uh, friends um, over there uh, of of our own age group. There was a crowd of fourteen Iraqis. Uh, 
most of them sons of people who are persona non grata in Iraq, I have to emphasize. Um, and my impression was, why are these people so childish? Why are they so silly? And they kept thinking, they kept telling us, why do you take life so seriously? Why are you so serious? Uh, it's, it's the absence of a childhood. I was never a teenager. I don't know what it's like. I wasn't brought up as a Muslim because my father is uh, is a pilot and he is used to the Western way of living. He does not pray, he does not fast, and he does not adhere to the Islamic teaching. And my mother is uh, was originally a Christian and she does not know anything. Uh, she, know, she knows only a few things about Islam, but she is not, uh, I wouldn't say she, that she is uh, a strict Muslim at all. So uh, I'm not from a strict Muslim family. ولا يبدين زينتهن إلا لبعولتهن أو آبائهن أو آباء بعولتهن. I was interested in Islam. I used to enjoy and feel happy when I hear somebody reciting Quran in very nice voice. And when I was thinking about the problems. Of the world, world, how it was living, and the problems the the world was living, and the society, our own society, was living in. Uh, I found that Islam has the answers to all the questions which our society and the society outside in the whole universe, uh, all, all these problems, the whole universe is uh, confront, confronted with. Uh, uh, we have the answers in Islam. So that's why I became uh, an active Muslim and living my own life according to the Islamic teaching. My last year at uh, university, uh, in May, there was some trouble between the police and uh, in fact, between the army and uh, the Palestinians. And this was the premises of what was going to happen in the coming years. But at that time, uh, it made it, it made the politi political climate very tense. And uh, I was accused of uh, firing rockets, which I've never done, but... Uh, it was in the paper, and I was just disgusted with the injustice of uh, being able to uh, be accused of such thing and being completely innocent. This happened in May, and I uh, left in July, although I would have wanted to leave in June, but I couldn't leave in June. We drove, I drove with a friend, we drove from Lebanon to Switzerland, and... Uh, Two months after, I just finished my exams, set my exams and finished them and then packed and left. When my mother died, I, I decided that... Well, I didn't immediately decide that I wanted to leave because I didn't know where I, I could go to. But um, by the time I was, I'd say, 17, 
I had um, um, an incident with members of um, the ruling gov- the ruling party, um, a violent incident, uh, as in I was at the receiving end of the violence. And after that, I decided that, well, I can't keep my mouth shut. And if I follow in my mother's lines and, and say what I think, I will be dead too. So I had to leave. I said, I'm not staying here. I'm going to leave this country. This country is gone to the dogs. And it has. I left when I was 18. And I'm currently 33. And three years' time, I would have spent half my life. I will have spent half my life outside Iraq. And to me, that that bites. That bites. I mean, okay, I've... I've got places. I'm not wealthy, um, but I managed to study hard and make a career um, of medicine and um, follow somehow in in my mother's footsteps regarding um, speaking out um, um, and publicizing the human rights situation in Iraq. Um, But um, the bitterness hasn't gone. I have less nightmares than before, but um, I don't think I've overcome it 100%. No. I left Switzerland to London to get uh, to New York, to America. And uh, because my father died the the previous year, I was asked to stay for signing some papers. I was asked to stay just uh, not too far, not go to as far as crossing the Atlantic. So I had some time to spend in London waiting and I decided I'll come and visit Ireland because met somebody who has been to Ireland and I received some postcards and I thought, oh, I'll go and visit. And I bought rain gear. I was warned about the rain, so I, w- I bought rain gear, hiking boots and just went to Kerry. And I spent a month there. I enjoyed ver- I enjoyed myself very much just doing simple things, feeding on brown bread, soda bread, first time I had it, butter and salmon now and then, smoked salmon, and uh, just hiking, hiking and hitching, and staying in bed and breakfast. And and, uh, it was very pleasant, and something has... uh, sort of touched me. I was really in harmony, in contact with myself there. So I decided I'll come back just to try to get the same feeling, I suppose. And I I never came until 1986. Just uh, the way it went, I went back to London and then I went back to Switzerland. And uh, in Switzerland I had to finish up my uh, flat. put order in the flat I was living in, giving up so many things. The flat I lived in with my husband, I had to clear it up and finish that marriage. And then uh, here I was. I put in my mind uh, Ireland beforehand because the Muslim community here is a good community, uh, close community. Uh, By close, I mean they have tight relations between themselves and they are uh, as one 
community and the country, the people here uh, treat the non-Irish in a far better way than the people in uh, Britain. It's a nice country, a quiet country, people are uh, very nice. And uh, the degree, the Irish degrees compared to, uh, I mean the Irish degrees are recognized like the uh, British degrees in the Middle East. So I chose Ireland. Uh, well, my first visit was about three weeks with my wife. Then I came another visit for about two weeks. Uh, then I came, uh, this is my third time to come here and settle here. I went to England in 1976. Um, I contacted my father in Beirut. Well, I joined my brother and I contacted my father in Beirut and we met. Uh, we hadn't seen each other since 1968. So when he left... When my father left Iraq, when he fled Iraq, I was 10 years old. When we were reunited, I was 18. Uh, a lot older. Not just uh, in the physical sense, in the mental sense. Uh, a lot had happened since. Um, and so was my father. He was a lot older. Um, I stayed in Britain for a few years. Um, did my some secondary school studies there. I had already done, completed my secondary school education in Iraq, but I had to follow the British system if I wanted to get into a, a British medical school. Um, and because of strict criteria regarding how many non-nationals they could take into medical schools, I found it difficult to get into the right schools. Um, I, I thought that I could kind of apply to Edinburgh or Glasgow and have no problems of getting in there, not realising that these are very difficult places and you need to be pretty well connected to get in there. Eventually, with help of um, uh, friends, I managed to... Uh, I was introduced into uh, the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and the friends in question who uh, were well-to-do financially and who understood the family circumstances, paid for my education, and did not expect anything in return. I felt anyway, uh, it's a personal perception, that the Irish were more open, certainly to me as a, as a foreigner. Um, I felt more at home here, or people certainly made me feel more at home here than they did in the United Kingdom. I'm not slandering the United Kingdom, but it's just that I was fortunate enough that the people whom I was surrounded by um, made me feel very at home. The Irish attitude to life, its culture, its family values, um, its pace of life um, suited me perfect. I felt that this is a place to be in. I'd never, I'd never ever dreamt that I'd end up in Ireland. I mean, if, you, if someone had asked me when I was 14 or 15, would I ever dream of ever ending up in Dublin? Um, it would have been as far-fetched as saying, would you ever dream of being in Reykjavik when you're 18 or 19 or 20? Um, I just felt that this place was very, in its own way, very um, similar to home. Its traditional values are very similar to those of um, the Middle East, um, <clears throat> the laid-back attitude generally is, is, is also uncannily similar to the Middle East, and even simple things like um, the cultural aspect, 
um, at the risk of sounding corny. Even Irish traditional music is, is quite similar, even down to tempo, to Middle Eastern music. I just felt that this was the nearest place I could find to the Middle East in the Western world. And um, in addition to being made feel very welcome. Um, when I um, eventually took up Irish citizenship, uh, the warm-heartedness in which the presiding justice, um, as she signed my document for naturalization, shook my hands and embraced me, were sort of, I was taken aback um, that someone who didn't know me and um, I was just a name and a piece of paper um, should welcome me so to the state so warmly. Um, um, I felt, well, fine, I've lost my home, this is now my second home. I'm alive, I can wake up in the morning and no one knocks on my door and hauls me out of bed into the nearest uh, secret police headquarters. No, it's a, it's a, even with, even, even with things, minor things which people bring up, friends of mine in the UK, like the troubles in the north, no, that, that, that doesn't bother me. Um, um, it, it's, it's very peaceful, it's very tranquil. Um, uh, I love the countryside, I, I go out, it's, it's a great place to unwind. Um, Irish people are usually very... Um, receptive to my past experiences if they are asking me about them or to uh, my <clears throat> traits, uh, um, be they straight or eccentric. I mean, it's, um, it's a great place. I feel to a certain extent I have integrated. I don't think I, um, as an Arab, I will ever feel 100% integrated, but this is as close as uh, you get to it. I think home is inside me really that's the most important to where I go wherever I move uh, this togetherness with myself would be my home and what's given outside is for me to to enjoy now sometimes you feel I would feel I just like to rest and be somewhere it's like deposit something uh, or take off weight and this happens when I go when I'm in uh, Glaunlik in my ha uh, house town in Kerry um, I just have this feeling you see I learned to make home with me because I have moved so much I can't have home somewhere and always be uh, in separation with home So it's important to feel, try to feel at home wherever I, I am. And it, it, uh, it represents very little things. It's like bringing out a picture or putting a, a, a scarf on a table or, you know, some little things, some familiar objects would help to make a place be home. But where I feel the most at home is uh, in uh, Glown Lake, in Dunquain. It's different things. Inside, it's indoors. It's because it's where I spread myself. I've gone to every little corner of this place and the place is mine. Although I don't, I don't own it as such, but it's my place. That's for in inside. But outside, uh, I, have, I have a big affinity with the landscape, 
with the sea. I like being by the sea, in fact. So that helps to make me feel at home. I don't think I'd like to be uh, in uh, Longford or some uh, place uh, in the middle of uh, the country. And uh, also uh, the people. I'm, I feel I'm part of uh, the village. I don't feel I don't feel I'm excluded. That means it's up to me. Anytime I walk to them, they're open. So this helps a lot. And uh, also because uh, I suppose my age, I've, you know, the fact when you're growing up makes, uh, makes me less demanding, but just taking what is there, what is given to me. And uh, all this makes me feel good there. Now, looking from the airplane, I found uh, a lot of greenery around. Uh, the, the land was green, there was no sun, because I came from Saudi Arabia. And there, uh, you have the air condition at home, you have the air condition at work, you have the air condition at, uh, uh, inside your car. So uh, when I came here, I found that the climate is uh, very nice. It was uh, cloudy, no more sun, no more condition. You can walk, you can run, you can do everything. You don't have to, to use the car. So it was, uh, I felt that it was uh, a nice place to spend a few years here. Not to live permanently. I don't think it will be acceptable or I would feel uh, free to live here uh, permanently. Because it's a different society from the society which I intend to live in. I would like to live in a society if... If I have the choice, I would like to live in the in an Islamic society according to the uh, Islamic law. But because this is not uh, available now, I would like to live in a society which is nearer to Islam as much as near to Islam. So if, if there is that society, I would like to live in it. But otherwise, uh, if I can choose the society, I would like to live in a society uh, which is totally according with the Islamic teaching. I would feel I'm a Muslim first, an Arab second, and a Syrian third. So this is my three grades, Muslim, Arab, and Assyrian. So this is the importance uh, of the different uh, grades. Muslims is first, second is Arab, third is Syrian. So I'm thinking and uh, I'm just waiting for the opportunity uh, to go back to Syria. Uh, it will be a change in the political situation mainly. Work is not a problem, but it's mainly a change in the political situation uh, to make people, uh, just to give the people the freedom to, to talk, to express themselves, the, the freedom to move. If they give this freedom, which is a basic right for every human individuals, uh, for every human individual, it's, if they, they do it, they give it to the people, the freedom to, to speak, uh, I would go directly to Syria. I think it will take long time because uh, it has many factors in it. To change this, uh, you should have the people, your uh, basis, the people, the, the majority of the people, you should convince them about Islam, convince them that they have to live their life according to the Islamic teaching, convince them to, uh, uh, to resist the non-Islamic way of living. If you convince the people, if you teach them that, if you bring up the children within that teaching, uh, no uh, 
wrong uh, political system can impose its idea on the majority of the people. So it's going to be long. I would like to visit Lebanon regularly to be more in touch with the people again. But uh, I would only live there if I had something to do there. And I mean something social, political, sociopolitical, just some action, some exchange. And then I would live there. But uh, at the moment, the way it is, I wouldn't like to live under Syrian occupation. <laughs> That's my nationalism coming up. Or any occupation, certainly not Israeli occupation. I wouldn't like to... I would like some orders in the country, some security. So we're not threatened all the time about moving 30 miles and here you are in different uh, political uh, milieu. But I would like eventually to to be there to uh, to participate in the healing or the growth or to up putting up the country i mean the country has been shattered just i don't i thought there would be no lebanon anymore in fact and here we are again there is lebanon but what sort of lebanon is that i need to go and see what do i miss i miss Maybe it's the memories of what could have been. Maybe, I don't know. Um, I miss simple things. I miss our house near the, near, the, near the Tigris River. I'd love to go and put flowers on my mother's grave. Not to, oh, yes, wallow in the past. No, it's, um, it's my way of communicating with her. Um, I'd love to walk downtown Baghdad and smell some freshly cooked Iraqi food and stop at a juice vendor and have some fresh juice or something like that. But then I know the Iraq that I hope to go back to if it were to be free is not going to be like that. That's why I question whether I would ever fit back in a future Iraq. <laughs> 